Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad that you're tuning into our summer series titled On Your Mark. As we go through the book of Mark, equipping you on how to run strong this summer for Christ, we pray this message impacts you where you're at and where you're going this summer. Thanks for listening. going to be the same place that we were last week. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16, which uh, has kind of turned into a two-part as we wrap up our series, uh, as we run well for the gospel this summer. A lot of you guys um, are still on the run. You, know, you just think to yourself, that's kind of the way life is. Yeah, I'm always on the run. I'm always moving. Y'all with me? Does life feel like that? You're always on the run. You're always moving. Well, we're designed to be, we're designed to be busy. We're not designed to be in a hurry because we're, when we're in a hurry, um, we lose those gospel conversations. And so what I wanted to do in the last two weeks uh, is to kind of refocus us on how to go with the gospel. So we're going to be concluding our series in Mark. So this morning is, um, is like that mic drop message. It's that, it's that cherry on top. Or for me, it is that kosher pickle on top of the Hawaiian bun with a little toothpick with a little flowery stuff on the top. Y'all know what I'm saying? That's kind of where we are this morning. Um, and so last week, we talked about how you can say in a race, on your mark, get set. But usually, what you're waiting for next, and if you've been watching the Olympics, you get it, is the word go. Now, you can say on your mark and get set, but you're not really going anywhere until you hear the word what? Go. And that's where we are. And so last week, I kind of slow walked us through um, the process of how do we actually go with the gospel biblically and practically. Gave you some acronyms. Encouraged you to do some things. Encouraged you to, uh, to be intentional. To think about your testimony. To post your testimony on our Facebook page. And we had countless that did that. Man, they were... Not sure if you read those, if not, like, follow, and read, and share. But there were some tear jerkers. Because any time a soul is rescued in any way, it's a magnificent thing to listen to. It's a magnificent thing to witness. So, man, thank y'all. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being tender. And, I, I mean, there's no telling where that testimony will go and where it has gone. But it's not too late. If you've been considering that, or this is the first time you've heard of this, do that. Go to our, go to our Facebook feed. Uh, we have our um, faith family page that we post, and we're encouraging people to, to post their testimonies right there. So this summer, what I've tried my best to do, I've tried my best to handle rightly the Word of God, to deliver it in a contemporary way. My goal as a pastor is to be a relative expositor to take the text to unpack it so we can understand it so we can go and live it out and so my goal has to been to, un to, to unpack the gospel of Mark because Mark's theme is very clear it's a theme that we've said every single week for the past nine weeks and the theme of Mark's gospel is this that Jesus is the authoritative miracle working son of God and, what church? Does anybody remember? Savior of the world. Some of you knew that, but you were kind of afraid to say it. But you can say it. And, Savior of the world. And so, we've hopefully, we, I've made that point. So when I was working on, you know, how to wrap this up, I thought, what's next? I mean, what else is there to be said? You know, if you ever ask your parents, maybe they tell you to do something, you say, Why? What do they say after you kind of get up off the floor? They usually say this, because I said so. You know what I'm saying? What is left to be said? I mean, the Gospel of Mark basically shows us that God said, because I said so. So where do we go from here? Well, I'm glad you have been wondering that all week, because I'm going to show us. So if you have your copy, you said a lot of you do. Let's stand together. We're going to be in Mark 16. Same place we were last week. 
starting in verse 1. Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over. Let me plug this real quick. A lot of this hinges on the message last week. So um, go back. It's online. Uh, it's on our website. Go to the sermon tab. We even posted it on Facebook as a link. So go back. Go back and partner that with this message to kind of help you get the full context of the Sabbath and the timing here. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother of Mary, of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they were to the tomb, they went to the tomb at sunrise, and they were saying to one another, who will roll this stone away from the entrance to the tomb for us? Verse 4 says, looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. These are specifics here. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen! Exclamation point. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go tell his disciples and Peter... He's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he has told you. Verse 8. And they went out. And they ran from the tomb. Because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. You guys can be seated. Now you're thinking, that's a pastor, that's kind, of a, um, that's kind of a strange way to end an entire book. Maybe that's a, that's a strange way to end a series. Well, I'm going to explain to you why it's not really that strange. Why it completely fits into the way Mark writes his gospel. Fast moving, we talked about that in week one. You know, who was this runner? Who was this runner? We have this entire series digitally, so if you want to get it in one, one fell swoop, Take it home and maybe pass it off, uh, pass it off, pass it on. Um, see Pastor Don for that resource this morning. So um, here's what you need to know. If we're going to run well for the gospel, not just for the summer, but with our lives, live out our life for his good purposes, there's three things that I want to point out right here at the end of Mark 16 that will help us. And the first thing is this. Put the facts in the right focus. Put the facts in the right focus. There's a man recently that made a lot of money on saying that's, that, that's the fact, Jack. You've heard that. Give me the facts. We see that in 1 through 4 of, of Mark 16. I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I pay attention to these details, to these facts. Look at these facts. When the Sabbath was over, fact... Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. We see details and facts. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, that's a fact. They were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb for us? That stone was a fact. Let's say fact together. One, two, three. Fact. These were facts. Looking up, they noticed the stone. That was a fact. Which was very large. That was the fact. That the stone had been rolled away. So as we go with the gospel, it will, no doubt, at times, feel like that you're moving on your own strength. Like you're moving with your own power. You know, you're, you're, you're moving with your own know-how. Have you ever moved into a situation and maybe you've walked in, you know it's a stressful situation? Maybe you realize the facts that you're walking into and you're trying to get yourself pumped up. I can do this. I can do this. You know, I can do this. I've been there. Am I the only one? Don't leave me out to dry up here. Have you ever been there? You're trying to talk yourself up, you know, you're trying to pump yourself up. It may seem like that, that you're the only one that's doing this on your own strength if we only 
focus on the facts. What we see right here are the facts that these ladies were focusing on. See, they didn't have a problem admitting that they didn't have it all figured out. I have learned enough to know already that I don't know that much. I don't have a problem saying, I have no idea, but I'll do my best to figure it out. If nothing else, I just make something up. Fake it till you make it. Anybody, you know, anybody else admit, I, you know, I just don't, there's times where I don't have the answers. There are times when you have to admit that you have no idea how a situation is going to turn itself out. That's what is going on right here. They, they, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they knew something needed to happen. They knew that the stone needed to be rolled away. They know that because Jesus was in the tomb, sealed up. They witnessed that on Friday. They were there. So they thought. They thought he was in there. Of all that could have been written, I was thinking about this and studying it, of all that could have been written, all that Mark could have recorded about the conversation that those ladies were having, this is the only fact that was listed, this conversation right here, that they were focused on the fact of the stone. That, that was it. Look at, look at verse 3. They were saying to one another, Certainly they were having more conversations than just this. But they were say, it's written only that they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? That's what they were focused on. They, they were discussing what was obvious. You ever pull up maybe to a drive-thru and there's a lot of other things going on, but the line is wrapped around a building and that's all you focus on is how long this line is going to take? There are other things, your other conversations that you're having, but this is the one that, that stuck out. So I was thinking this. Why were they focused on just this one thing? Why, why is just this one thing pointed out? And I really believe it's because it was the most pressing thing that they knew needed to be removed. There were other things going around, but this thing dominated. This fact dominated their thoughts. And they didn't admit that it was there. See, when we feel the tug of the Spirit as we go with the gospel, or we feel the tug of the Spirit to give or to serve, there's going to be situations that you have to face, face the facts of the difficulty. Like, this is not going to be easy. What I'm about to face is going to be difficult. You've heard that testimony from some of our teachers they know as they step into the situation. And I, I know there's moments that you've been there. There's moments that I've thought, God, I want to see you work. I need to see you work. I need to feel your presence right now. But I admit that this gospel proclamation ain't going to be easy because of the facts that stare me right in the face. Am I alone in here? Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? You're stepping into that. I know that you've been there. These, these ladies were there. So what can we learn as we face the facts? Well, this is, this is on your notes. Let's just kind of keep going. The facts didn't stop them from going forward with what God had put on their hearts. The facts didn't, didn't stop them from going forward of what God had put on their hearts. Man, that, I was thinking about that and praying over this and studying over this. That just popped out to me. They kept going forward despite the facts that they were, they were seeing right in front of their face. From the moment that they stepped out of their homes, the first day of the week, and they headed right at daybreak, as they headed to the tomb, they did not once expect anything else but an uncertain obstacle. Like they knew that was, they knew that was about to happen. These teachers know there will be unexpected obstacles. But these ladies right here, they kept moving forward. Amen? They, they, kept, they kept going toward the tomb. They knew that Joseph secured the graveside with a really heavy stone. They knew that on Friday. They knew that they were going to be unable to remove it themselves because of their own limitations. Like they knew that there's no way that I can do this. But hey, they didn't turn around. They didn't bail out. 
They didn't abandon what God had called them to do. They kept moving what, church? Forward. Because Friday was the last time any of them had seen the tomb. They were unaware. They were completely unaware that the religious leaders had sealed it. They were completely unaware that the religious leaders had put pressure on the Roman officials and those Roman officials that were so sick of this movement in Jesus, they were unaware that those Roman officials had put probably some of the best, most alert guards at the tomb that morning. These weren't the JV that were placed at that tomb because of what was at stake. These were men. These were trained killers. These aren't cartoon characters that you see that just, you know, got sleepy and just ate a couple of donuts and, and, and dozed off. No way. Because their lives were at stake. Because if anything messed up, off with their, they, were, they were done. Their careers were over. So what I want you to know is everybody right here is facing the facts. These, these ladies were focused on the fact that Jesus was dead. The leaders focused on the fact that they didn't want anybody else to rekindle this movement by removing his body. The Roman soldiers faced the facts that they'd be punished if something out of the ordinary happened. Everybody was staring at the facts. The situation was telling everybody, let the facts define the moment and expect nothing different. Did y'all get that? Let the facts define the moment and expect nothing different. There is nothing more to expect out of this Jesus of Nazareth. So let's just move on. Ha! See, in order to prevent the hard facts of our lives from stopping you from moving forward in your life, we have to refocus those facts. We have to refocus them. These ladies, they were aware of the facts because of their human nature, but they had forgotten the facts of God's nature. We are not bound. He is not bound by time and space like us. He can see it around the corner. He is working in the background of our lives. Most of the time in the foreground of our lives, we just can't see it because we're too busy looking back at the facts or what's right in front of us. He is not bound by what we are aware of. To God be the glory. This is the beauty of this passage right here. See, they were unaware that when they were dinned up at home, crushed by despair, that there was a localized earthquake that happened just a few miles from where they were. They, they were unaware that, that there was an angel that arrived who rolled the stone away and incapacitated the soldiers and ran them off. They were unaware of that because of the facts that were right in front of them. We see that in Matthew 28. And by the time the ladies got to the tomb with their facts the soldiers had disappeared and the entrance was wide open by God's power. Amen. God had been working behind the lines of their forward-moving obedience. That is critical for us to take as we go for the gospel. God was working behind those lines while they were obediently just moving forward. So if you're, like, if you're at a place where I just don't see God working in my life, my question to you is, are you moving forward in obedience? Because if you're just making that effort to move forward in obedience, you don't have to get bogged down by the facts of what's right here because of the nature of God. Amen, Linda Kelly? She shared that testimony similar this, this morning with me before the service. God is working around us. And that's important for us to remember that. It's important for us to know the angel did not remove that stone to let Jesus out. Because we see in the New Testament and other places that the resurrection body was moving between walls, was like porthole, was moving from place to place. Yes, is that unbelievable? No, it's not unbelievable because I believe in the power of God. But is it hard to comprehend? Yes. Why? Because I can't do that. You see those funny videos that there's the glass door. The people walking into a room don't see that glass door. Bam! We watch a lot of AFV around my house. I just like to laugh at other people getting hurt. I mean, maybe that has something to do with my depraved, I don't know. But I just think it's funny when people try to 
go through a glass door. Right, Emma? Yeah, we watch a lot of AFV. It's therapeutic for me. But what we need to know is Jesus didn't need out. He, he was not bound by that tomb. The reason the stone was rolled away is so the ladies could see the impossible and experience that empty tomb for the glory of God. It wasn't to let him out, it was to let them in. God works despite the facts in order to get all the glory. That's, that's next there on, on your sheet, on your sermon guide. Man, that's huge for us. That God works despite the facts to get all the glory. Because if we could remove the facts of what's right in front of us, we would pat ourselves on the back. We would throw our elbows out, patting ourselves on the back. Because we would have, we would have the power to remove those obstacles ourselves. But that's not, that's not the text. And that's huge for us as we take the gospel into dark places. I mean, should we ignore the facts around us? No. I'm not saying don't act like things aren't tough. Because that's, that's delusional. There are moments where you can honestly say this is hard. Maybe you face that through a death. Maybe you faced that through a circumstance that you didn't ex expect. Maybe you expected something to happen, but it didn't. You can admit that, God, this is hard. This is something I don't understand. The fact is, we should do our best to understand what is true in those hard situations. Seek for truth. I believe the, the greatest pandemic in this moment we find ourselves in in America is the pandemic of misinformation. We're, what is truth? What is true? I mean, I'm just bombarded from every angle. Things that make so much sense, but they're so far away. You guys with me? Like, what in the world do I, do I do? And all I know to do is to move forward in obedience and dig and mine for the truth and listen to the voice of God. Because Jesus says, I am the truth. That's what Pilate asked Jesus. That was the, the same question we're asking ourselves in 2021. Out of 2020 is the same question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? He wanted to know because he realized that everything hinges on the truth. And Jesus said, you want to know what truth is? I am truth. But he didn't get it. He didn't get it. God's word instructs us as believers to wade through distractions. And we are in a heap of it right now. We are in a heap of distractions. Distractions of this world. And the text in the New Testament tells us to mine for what is true. Mine for it. Get your picks out. Be intentional. Let's dig, y'all, as a church and, a, and, a, and a believers in a cultural, uh, 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 culture and moral freefall. Let's dig for the truth. Because we have to have it. That's what the New Testament said. There's a couple of scriptures I want to read to you. These are the words of, of Paul. These are the words of, of, uh, of Luke here in Acts. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble in character? Since they received the word with eagerness... And they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You want to know what's true? This is truth and the Spirit of God will reveal you to it. But we have to dig for it every day. Where do we, what is our first source for truth? It's certainly, it's certainly not the news. It's the good news. Because this is not our home. And so this is where we dig daily. I'm not saying don't watch the news. Some people need to turn off the news because it has them gripped. It has them distorted and distracted. It has them feeling like the world is coming to an end. It is, but in Christ, it's not. So it's to dig for truth. It's to, I'm what, I'm, what I have adopted personally is to try to get my spirit so full so that when I'm bombarded with distractions, I'm not discouraged. I can just plow on through it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 21 says this, But test all things and hold on to what is good. Spit up, 
chew up the meat and spit out the bones. So how does that work for us as we go for the gospel? Well, maybe the move is that God is calling you to make doesn't make sense when you look at the facts. But I want to tell you, keep moving toward the empty tomb. Maybe the move to witness is awkward. I get it. It is awkward. But keep moving toward the empty tomb. Maybe the person that God has put on your heart to share your testimony with, maybe that person is dark. Hey, maybe that person is hard-hearted. Maybe that person is a relative. Maybe that person is a stranger. Okay, keep moving toward an empty tomb. Just keep seeking for truth and seeing where the conversation goes. When we, when we move forward in surrendered obedience to the Great Commission, we do that knowing that God is working behind the scenes in ways that you don't know. To share a birthday? I mean, come on. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. God is putting the pieces together for us all the time. He's going before us. We see this all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. John 14, 6 says this. We're going to roll through some text to make this point. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's just kind of reinforcing some things in the Old Testament. We see it in, in, in yeah, I think it was, yeah, Deuteronomy 31. Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go where? Before you. And he will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. So do not be afraid or discouraged. We have to put our facts in focus. Isaiah 45 says, I will go before you and level the uneven places. I will shatter the bronze doors and cut the iron bars in two. The point is this. When we move forward in the gospel, move to the empty tomb, we have God's promises that he will break down the darkness and prepare our way as we go. Man, that's power right there. That completely takes the pressure off of us, doesn't it? Psalm 136, 16 says, He led his people in the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. He led his people. God is the one that's doing the work. We're the ones that's just doing the following. Exodus 32, 23 says, They said to me, Make gods for us who will go before us. Because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. The reason that they wanted to make gods that would go before them is because they had experienced Jehovah go before them. That's all they knew. So when Moses was was spending too much time on the mountain and they didn't know where he was, they started to panic because they knew that God would go before him and they thought if he's missing, then God will not go before us. So we need to try to figure out how we can manufacture some more God to go before us because that's, that's all they knew, that God would go before them. There's, a, there's this cliff in Brazil and it explains the this perfectly, what I'm trying to tell you from facts to focus. This cliff is visited by thousands of tourists every year because the height of this cliff's edge and the way the ocean is in the background. And so some pretty incredible pictures are taken from this. This is, this is one right here. Y'all look at that crazy human. No, go back, go back, not, not yet. Y'all just kind of soak that in a minute. I mean, look at the ocean back there. Wouldn't you love to have this as your profile? I mean, this is impressive. All right, go to the next one. Look at this guy. I mean, he has a really good plan, doesn't he? Look at, look at this daddy and his daughter. You know what she's thinking? My daddy is so brave. <laughs> 
my daddy's, look at, look at him. He is, he is just so brave. And so a lot of family, look at this family. I mean, this lady obviously, look at her, I mean, her, her children are traumatized. I think the dad's smiling. I'm not sure what's up with that. Maybe he just took out a new life insurance policy. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. But let me, let me tell you this. I know you're probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Why in the world would somebody take such a risk? And I saw that. When I, when I first saw it, I thought, these people have lost it. I'm pretty sure they're Gator fans, first of all. <laughs> because who in their right mind would do this for such a photo? Who, who would do it? Because one gust of wind, one sneeze, one, one um, rogue bumblebee, one slip, and it's over. Y'all think, are thinking the same thing, right? What in the world is no way anybody would do stuff like this? It's not worth the risk. But what if I told you that there's actually no risk? What if I told you that something much different is going on outside of what the facts are telling your eyes right now? What if you could see reality through a different lens, which we call a world view? As believers, we have a biblical, hopefully we have a biblical worldview, which means we see the situations of truth through the lens of God's Word. A biblical worldview. Well, this, let me show you the lens of the, the worldview here in the cliff. This is actually what's going on. It's actually going on. But see, this gentleman is having his picture taken by this guy in the Chicago Bulls hat who forgot Jordan is retired. But he's taking a picture of this guy. So back up one. That's what the picture will look like. But in real life, or you can go forward, that's really what's going on. There is zero risk of falling. Maybe a risk of a sunburn. But other than that, are those people really taking a risk? No. So it completely changed the perspective. So that daddy that was hanging on, and his little girl's like, my daddy's the greatest. You're like, your daddy's a nut. He is the greatest. There was no risk right there. So for that, for that dad that was looking at his children holding his wife and he's smiling, he's smiling because he understands this is really no risk at all and this is just something fun for our kids. It takes the darkness, the danger, and the uncertainty completely out of the situation when you realize that something more secure is behind you and in front of you and under you and over you, come on church, right? It takes it out of there. The fact is that, that what's in front of you, you can't always see. It can't be the primary focus because if you only focus on, a, uh, on the facts of the perspective, then it will rob your peace and your confidence and your joy in life. That's why the people at this cliff's edge are willing to take such risk because they understand that, that there's something that is changing the lens that's why for us, in this pandemic of misinformation, for us, we need to be still and know that He is God. We need to focus on God's Word, God's voice, God's presence, not an anchor or a feed. Those things have its place, but unfortunately, it's taken the primary place in a lot of people's lives, and it's bringing all this fear and anxiety. This is what these women at the tomb experienced that day. They experienced a refocus of the facts because God showed up. So if we want to run well for the gospel, the first thing we have to do is refocus the facts. God, God is already ahead of us. He's already preparing the way in truth that we can see Him working hard in situations. The key for us is to just keep moving forward in obedience. But there's a second thing, and it's this. You've got to face your fears. You've got to face your fears. Because the facts of going with the gospel are going to be scary sometimes. Is there anybody that can testify by just raising your hand that you've stepped out and did something for the glory of God and you were scared to death? Yes. It happens. Because it comes with uncertainty. Let's look at verse, let's verse 5 as we kind of keep going. When they entered the tomb, 
they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen! Exclamation point. He is not here. See the place where they put him? See, their initial thought, like Mary Magdalene, who came a little bit later, was surely someone had stolen the body. It was instant fear right there. They never, they never, experienced, they never expected a resurrection. The reason I know that they didn't expect a resurrection is because they came with spices prepared for a dead body. If they expected the stone to be rolled away, they wouldn't have been talking about how to move it. And they wouldn't have had all these spices preparing to, to somehow get in there miraculously when they, when they arrived. They never expected it. But in an instant, the ladies went from being surprised to being terrified by this brilliance of this young man. It was an angel. It was an angel standing right before that tomb, pointing, pointing the way. He was there to kind of ease those ease those those fears and anxiety. And we know that he was an angel because every other place in the New Testament that someone appears in dazzling white, it's always an angel. So we know by just textual criticism in comparison that this was also no doubt, no doubt an angel. It's consistent. But here's what I want you to know. Um, Luke and John actually say that there's two angels. So does that mean there's a discrepancy in the text? No, because Mark and Matthew only mentioned one because only one spoke. You know, if you're in a crowd of people and one, and one person is doing all the talking, you may tell a story like, hey, I saw this guy in town and he said this. Yeah, he did, but there were other people around him chattering, but he was the main focus. Y'all get, get what I'm saying? So, of course, the text meets together. It's no surprise that when the woman saw this angel, they were amazed but what is amazed? We know what amazement is in English. I mean, it has different, you know, different ways you can use the word. But it's important to know that the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so in the translation, we know what the word means. And so the Greek word for amazed actually means to be terrified and confused. Terrified and confused. And according to Luke 24, the angel asked the woman... Why are you seeking the living among the dead? I mean, he's kind of getting on to her a little bit. He's rebuking her with this question because he's reminded them, and catch this, he's reminding them they should have anticipated Jesus' resurrection since he promised that it was going to happen all throughout his ministry. Why are you seeking, duh, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Jesus told you this was going to happen. And that's what I want you to catch. That fear enters our lives and they were terrified and confused because they had failed to remember God's word. Man, that's big. And for us, fear enters our lives when we vary from the truth. When we vary from the truth. When we go away from what is expected, it grants the enemy a new device to have control over your life. This is about to get thick. I want you to catch it. This is the... This is the uh, climax here of, of point two when we're hearing a lot about things that vary newness new, new strains new variations I want you to know that fear keeps you tethered to the enemy you with me say I am it keeps you tethered that's the point of a device it grants the owner access to you if you have cable TV you have some sort of device. Maybe it's a box. Maybe it's a dish. Maybe it's internal wiring or something like that. But the company that you are in contract with, they don't, they don't, they're not located in your house. They're located in a different city or maybe a different state. But the only way they have access to you and your home is through that device. And so what does Satan do? He uses fear to gain access to you. That's how an owner gains access to someone. It's through fear. Fear keeps you tethered. And so as long as you use that device, you get the bill for their service, don't you? 
What happens if you cancel that service? What do they want you to do with that device? Send it back. Church, let me tell you, we need to send back the device of fear. Get it out of our lives because it's, it's giving the enemy access to you. And as long as you ha the enemy has access to you, he's going to send you the bill. And you're going to pay for it with fear, anxiety, stress, uncertainty. And you're going to completely shut your life down with everything that's rational and makes sense because of fear. The Bible tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. So don't be deceived. Satan is always, catch this, is always looking to sow a new device, a new strain of fear. Because without that device, Satan loses access to you. So the New Testament tells us we need to be alert to the enemy's devices. Let me just look around our country. I'm not making any type of medical statements. I'm not a medical doctor. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I'm into spiritual analytics. That's what I do. I like to see things on a spiritual realm. And spiritually, what we see is not a coincidence that as soon as we are getting back to normal, boom, a new device of fear has popped up. There is a very significant difference between being wise and being afraid. I want to be wise. I want to be cautious. I want to be courageous. But I don't want to be gripped by fear. So I'm sitting in a spiritual um, fetal position, afraid of what's going to happen next. No, because that's what the devil wants. And I don't want to give him that device in my life. And I don't want that to happen to you in your life either. That's where these ladies were. They had that device of fear. And what happened when they got to that tomb, afraid about what was going to happen to the stone? There was an angel waiting. And that's important for us. If we're going to let go of the fear that grips our witness. Because if we don't let go of fear that grips our witness, we are being disobedient to God. Because fear is not of God. I have not given you a spirit of fear, it says in Timothy, but of power and of love. And what comes after you experience the power and the love of God? A sound mind. So if you want to be settled in your mind, it starts at a spiritual level. Fear is not of God. God doesn't want there to be fear in your witness. So if we go, if we allow fear to grip us, we'll be subject to losing our identity in Christ. Y'all get that? Fear will make you lose your identity in Christ. You will, for, you will forget who you are because you're so scared. You won't be able to understand what's going on in your right and left. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I'm not preaching to myself. I understand that. There's a story of, um, of the Cincinnati Zoo that their main exhibit on their gorilla died. And they were worried when they were about to restart the, the zoo season that they were going to lose all this money because their gorilla had died. And so they began to think, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so uh, about the same time as this gorilla died, this gymnast who was out of work saw in the newspaper that their gorilla had died. And so he went to the zoo and he's like, hey, um, let me just pitch something to you. I'm a gymnast and I'm out of work. You're a zoo and you have no gorilla. If you'll get me a gorilla suit, I will dress up in that thing and I will get in that exhibit and I will act like I'm a gorilla. Let's just see. If, I mean, what do you have to lose? The gorilla's dead. They're like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. And so they bought this authentic gorilla suit. Man, they put it on him. He got in there. You know, a couple of days, he just kind of got used to the lay of the land. You know, he'd walk around. He'd make all the noises. And he noticed that the crowds began to grow bigger and bigger. The kids were getting closer. He's like, hey, they're actually buying this. And so he took it to the next level. So he began to swing on the ropes. And the crowds begin to grow. And then he began to do flips from trapeze to trapeze. And I mean, people were going crazy. He's like, yes. And so the people at the zoo said, you know what? That's a great idea. We're going to up your pay and we're going to keep you on. Well, he got too prideful. And one day he tried to do a really big loop. And he accidentally flipped over into the lion's cage. 
And as he landed there, remember his identity was this gorilla. As he lands there, he starts to yell and scream, I'm not a gorilla! Help me! Help me! And the lion comes running up. He's like, ah! And the lion said, shut up, you idiot. You're going to get us both fired. <laughs> Here's the point. There is a point. Fear will make you lose your identity. Fear will make you act like you have no idea who you were made to be in Christ. So get rid of that new device in your life. And you know, when you think about going with the gospel, when you're witnessing, I know for me personally, really two things kind of pop up. The fear of failure and the fear of rejection. Right? Nobody wants to, nobody wants to feel like a failure. I know it may be terrible parenting, but I'm no parenting expert. But I think it's good for my kids to, to know that they uh, are losers when they lose a card game. I think it builds character. So if we're playing Uno and I win, I will look at my girls. And what will I do, Emma? I'll say, you're, you're, hey, don't, don't judge me. I'll say you're a loser. You, they know it's fun. But you know what? They do it to me too, and it's fun. It's taking Sadie to get a little, okay, she's still working on it. But in this world, fear of rejection is going to happen, right? Fear of losing is there, and it, it creeps into our witness. Nobody wants to fail. No one enjoys being rejected. And the fear of failure exists because we misunderstand what our task is. And our task is this as we go with the gospel. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to just share our faith. That's how we measure success. Just go. Because knowing God is, God is working around us. Jesus didn't win every person to himself. I mean, after the crucifixion, there were just a handful there. John 6, 66 said when he started talking about this is going to be difficult to follow me, you're going to have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. The Bible says most of the disciples turned and they said these words are too hard. And guess what they did? They walked away. Something else. He didn't go chasing them either. He didn't go chasing people. And so for us, we are simply ambassadors. We are simply ambassadors that speak on the authority of someone else. So we have to remember as we go with our witness that God holds us accountable for obedience, not for perfection. Just be obedient. Just keep moving toward that tomb in your witness. Because Christ called us to follow him. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say catchers. Fishers of men. I will equip you to fish and to go. Because whatever you catch is not on your own power. It's by my power and it's for my glory. And there's also rejection. And nobody wants to be rejected. And that's what happens when you witness. Man, you just, you, you know. Take it personal. And they're rejecting me. No, they're not. They're rejecting Jesus. When they get to heaven and there's a judgment seat, they're not, they're not having to answer to what they responded to what you said. They're, the Bible says they're going to answer before God alone. And so the greatest witness on earth is not going to convince everybody the truth of the gospel. So what we do is just simply go and share in obedience you think about the Old Testament, there's, there's something that defined an Old Testament prophet. It was rejection. They lived in rejection. Every time they went, they were rejected. Jesus was rejected. Jesus tells us, if you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to follow me. Which means, whatever happened to me will happen to you. So a good, uh, a good way to label yourself or qualify yourself as a Jesus follower is the level of rejection that you face. Steve Lawson said, and it's bold, he said one of the, one of the reasons with, one of the, one of the problems with disciples and pastors these days is nobody wants to kill them. I'm like, I don't want anybody to kill me either. But really what he's saying is there's nobody willing to stand up and go against the flow so much that it just makes people want to gnash their teeth and take out your voice. That's what he's saying. Because nobody wants to be rejected. 
the character of a true messenger of God is rejection. So how do we face our fears? Well, this is on your notes. This is, this is what Lord spoke to me with. Thinking about the focus. We, we, we face our fears. We overcome the fear of going by replacing earthly fear with heavenly fear. That's, that's how we battle fear and rejection as we go with the gospel. I know what you're lying. You're thinking, what in the world? I thought there was no appropriate place for fear. Well, there is. Biblically, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what I want you to know that fear in the life of the Christian is not horizontally. It's laterally. We fear what God has called us to do because we have to give an answer before Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 and 11 says this. These are the words of Paul. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, it's a healthy fear. We try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. He's saying, it's not a horizontal answering, it's a vertical. You're going to have to answer for how you handled your witness. The word evil is translated trivial or worthless. So what we find right here is the biblical motivation to share is out of a holy fear that we will stand before God for how we went. Ouch. That's where fear comes in. Not the success, but the effort. Not if we go, where we go, but just the availability and the willingness to go. And then there's a third thing, we're wrapping up. It's this, go and wonder. We're talking about how do we go with the gospel Last week we talked about, yeah, it's, it's personal, but this week we have to know that he, he's with us. Look at verse 7 and 8. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out from the tomb because of trembling and astonishment, overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Period. Gospel over. Now, in your Bibles, there's also verses 9 through 20. But if you'll notice, there's probably some type of blocking there. There's some type of word that says, added later, or something like that. Y'all see what I'm talking about? Is it there in your Bibles? Here's what's going on. Because there was uh, ancient manuscripts all end in verse 8. Later manuscripts have those last 12 verses. But biblical scholars say that's not part of the original inspired text because it's not in any of the, new manu the old manuscripts. So why in the world is it there? Well, later on, there was such an abrupt end that they just, you know, uh, people that study the text thought, oh, there must, be, there must be another part that's missing. We can't find it. So let's just try to wrap this thing up. Let's put a nice little bow on it so it makes more sense. So it doesn't just seem like, uh, appear like it, like it was a mistake or something's missing. Well, my question is, and through my study, is why would Mark stop there in such an abrupt way? Because you know there's more to the story. The other Gospels tell you that there's more. So why did Mark stop right there? Well, we have to know why Mark wrote. Remember, he, he wrote very quickly from one thing to the next. And the key to understand why this ends in verse 8 is to understand these final three words that we see. Trembling astonishment, and afraid. And this is that cherry on top. See, trembling actually means physically shaking in response to getting news. It's just shot of adrenaline. That's where that word comes from. If you're a deer hunter in here, you know, you can sit in the stand for hours. Your heart rate maintains, the, you know, that same rate. But as soon as you see that furry four 
legged animal with even any resemblance of horns, what? You, you get a shot of adrenaline. Guys, you with me? Ladies, you with me? You know what I mean? You get that. That, that is what is implied here when it says trembling. They were physically shaken because of the adrenaline of seeing the empty tomb. The other word is astonishment. That word in Greek means overwhelmed with joy. It's where we get our word ecstasy. So they were trembling. They had a shot of adrenaline. They were, they were excited. They were overwhelmed with joy. And then it says they were afraid. Which in the context means they were stunned into silence. You know? You ever seen something? You're like, Shazam. Wow. That is unbelievable. I just, I'm speechless right now because of what I just experienced. That's what we see right here. These ladies were overwhelmed by the shock and the wonder and the reality of the resurrection. This moment had the same effect on Mark. He was overwhelmed that the fact that the tomb was empty... And he just ended it right there. What else needed to be said? Because remember, what is his theme? How did he start in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 1? He starts right out of the gate, quickly, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he explained the gospel that Jesus was the authoritative, miracle-working Son of God and Savior of the world. And he gets to the very end and the, the tomb is empty. What else needs to be said in his perspective? Nothing. So he closes the book. He washes his hands and he goes and he lives out the gospel. Mark's ending is abrupt, but it's not incomplete. It was exactly what he wanted to write. And so for us... These ladies were not in fear for their safety. They were experiencing astonishment mixed with profound joy at the thought that Jesus was alive. And that's what Mark's gospel ends on. It's the wonder and it's the amazement of Jesus. So for a church family, for us, I want to close with this. I want you to end each day with your head on the pillow at night in awe and wonder of what God has done around you. And then get up the next morning expecting God to show you awe and wonder and excitement of what He will do that day. I want you to get up and I want you to be pumped. I want you to be pumped because there was just, you know, j just be somebody trying to tell everybody about that one person who died a criminal's death, who walked out of a borrowed tomb, victorious, king of king, lord of lords, clothed in righteousness, and coming again in matchless glory. Let that grip your heart. Let that change your life. And let that send you to live out your life of the gospel in awe and in wonder. And every day as you go to sleep, close the book on that day with that same thought. That's how... You go with the gospel. That's what it means to have a transformed life. That's what Romans 10.9 says. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you can be saved. It's not the words that you say. It's the impact that your life explains because you have had a radical transformation with an empty tomb. Amen? And that's where this leads. And it's the last thing as we close. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to run well for the gospel? What does it mean to, to be in awe? What does it mean to be pumped up and have the, your spiritual veins every moment, every step of every day? It means this. Saving faith goes beyond the facts and the fears. Salvation must grip the heart with the love of Christ and submits the will and obedience to Him. As sovereign Lord. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. It's not just words that you uttered. It's not just what you might think. It is a transformed life. You know a tree by its fruit. So my challenge to us this morning as we go with the gospel. Is to consider these words. Consider the words of the text.
if you've never had a transformed heart that leads to life change, I worry about your soul because you know a tree by its fruit. If you face the facts, you understand the gospel, but you've never considered the impacts through surrender, obedience, and move to the empty tomb, I worry about your soul. What are you going to say when you stand before the Father on Judgment Day when He says, why should I accept you into eternal rest in my presence? What will you say? Ready? That's the most important question you'll ever ask yourself this morning as we go with the gospel. 